I just want to start by thanking uh, Steve and honoring Steve for allowing me to be able to come this morning and share what you always put on my heart for today and to be able to share that with all of you people. Um, so thank you, sir. I love and honor you. I also need to make two very exciting announcements. So this week we got to add two new members to our house through little babies, cute little babies. Yeah. So on May 30th, Austin and Ryan Graham brought Zion Austin Graham into the world. Yeah. And on June 1st, Sam and Justina Miranda brought in their son, Asher Johari Miranda. So just give it up for both of them. It's very exciting. I got to see one of the babies. I got to go see Zion already. He's so cute. I've seen pictures of Asher, and he is also very cute. So I'm excited for them to get to come. So I hope you guys are ready because I have two hours of lecture notes ready to go. So I hope you brought notebooks and your glasses, all the things that you may need. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm, I'm actually very excited to be able to share today and, and just be able to release what Holy Spirit's put in me. Um, so we've been doing this series out and about. This is week five of the series. The, the first week, if you remember, we'll go over it real quick, but week one, Steve talked about just being out and about and our responsibility as the kingdom to take the, the gospel to people who may not be in the walls of this church or people that we don't come in contact with in the kingdom setting, right? People who may have never heard the gospel and bringing our gospel to them. The second week, uh, Archie spoke and he talked about our beautiful boundaries, if you remember, and these walls that we may put up around ourselves and we dress them up to look, look nice and it looks like, oh yeah, this is fine, this place that I'm in is fine, but in reality we're building these walls around ourselves that don't allow us to branch out and reach our full potential, right, and to, to find our purpose that the Father has put out before us. In the, the third week, uh, Steve taught about doubt, right, and he talked to us about when you have doubt, it's okay to have doubt if you don't allow it to just bog you down and make you freeze up. Even the disciples had doubt, but Jesus still told them, I want you to go out and I want you to spread the gospel. I want you to make new disciples. He didn't say because you have a little bit of doubt about how this is going to work out, I need you to stay home. They still went out and they moved and they still took out the gospel and they were able to be effective while having doubt, letting in their faith until that doubt eventually disappeared. And then last week, Steve spoke about the two gospels. He talked about the gospel of salvation and the gospel of condemnation, which are both under the, the, wing, the, the wingspan of the one true gospel, right? But it's about how you receive it depends on which gospel you received. So if it's the salvation gospel, you've accepted Christ into your life, you were baptized into Christ, and now you're going out and you're sharing the gospel, right? But if it's the condemnation gospel, that means you've heard Christ, you've rejected Christ, and now you're not going to carry that into your life, and you're not going to live a life full of abundance, but you're going to have a life of condemnation, right? So this week, speaking on Out and About, I'm going to speak about wisdom and the way that God has intended for us to gain wisdom, live in wisdom, and just become a wise person, and you become more wise in your walk with him. So when I was younger, I, uh, I had an infatuation with pocket knives, right? When I was little, like too young to want to have knives, but my family members still gave them to me. So I had a ton. I had a ton of pocket knives. I had like the big 
ones that don't fold away. I've got the little Swiss Army knife. I had all of them. And I just, I always had them. I thought they were cool. I liked to take them apart, figure out how they worked. And then I just, I was always polishing them. I thought they looked cool. Some of them I used, so I'd use them to go sharpen sticks and make forts and things like that. But then I had other, other knives that I didn't use because these were just my cool knives that I showed my friends when they came over, right? Like I had this Batman knife. So it looked like a Batman logo. And then there was two blades, and they both came out either side of the wing. So then it was like a bigger Batman logo, and it was super, super sharp. And I was like, this is the coolest knife. So that's the one I never would use it to cut anything. It just sat on my dresser in case friends came over. I could show them my cool knife. Um, so the first knife I ever got, though, the one that started all of my knife collecting, was this little red Swiss Army knife. A lot of you have probably had one like it, the exact one or a similar one. It's like this big, right, and it's just red, and it's got a couple little knives in there. None of them are that sharp. Um, I think mine had scissors, too, because it was like a newer one, so it had a cool little scissor piece on it. But I had this knife, and, and I, took, I never got rid of my knives. Some of them I traded, but that one I kept. So... Now let's fast forward. These are all knives from when I'm like 10. Now we go forward. I'm in college, and I'm in my dorm room, and I had the Swiss Army knife, right? Now, mind you, I've had knives since I'm like 10, so everyone who gave me a knife, my parents, my grandpa, my uncles, whoever, they all taught me, like, the safety, right? Because I was young, so they're like, you can really cut your finger off, so here's the things that you need to know <laughs> when you're handling a knife. So I knew all the things of do's and don'ts when it comes to pocket knives. You know, I knew how all my pocket knives worked if some of them had safety locks, some of them didn't have safety locks, things like that. All the rules too, like don't leave them laying open on the, the table, you know, just the, the rules that you have to follow with knives. And uh, when I was in my dorm room, I had that Swiss Army knife with me and I was laying on my bed. Now, this one didn't have a lock on it to keep it open. Like you didn't have to push a button to fold it back shut. Right, it just opened and closed on its own. So I'm laying on my bed, and the way that the dorm beds are, they can be bunk beds. I didn't have mine as a bunk bed, but it had a rail on the side so that you can't roll off of it, you know? So I had this wooden rail on the side, and I'm laying there, and I'm stabbing the bottom of the rail with the pocket knife. So it would stick, and I'd let go, and I'd grab it and stick it in the wood, and then let it hang, grab it, pull it out, stick it, all that. So no reason behind it, right? <laughs> I'm like watching TV. I had a TV at the foot of my bed. I'm just, you know, stabbing the bed with a knife. It's, <laughs> I, don't have a good, I don't have a good excuse. I don't know why I was doing it. Like, I just was. And I wasn't paying attention to it. I'm just continuing to do this, just absent-minded. I'm not even looking at the bed rail or any of that. And I thought, and I knew, too, this isn't like a smart way to use a pocket knife. But it didn't matter because I'm thinking, it's whatever. I'm just, it's a little knife. It's not even that sharp. And I didn't realize how hard I really was putting force behind the knife to make it really stick in the bed frame. So one of the times I just, I put it up and it just folds because I didn't hit the tip of the knife into the bed frame. It like hit the back part. So it folded across my thumb like that. So I didn't have it even facing away from me. It was facing towards me. I do that, and it closes on my thumb, just like, boop. So I'm, I just freeze, because it was hard. I hit it really hard, so it folded hard. And I was like, you know, you feel that burning sting, and it's like, oh, no. So I look, 
And I hold it up. I remember I just lay there and I hold it up to look in the light and there's no blood and I'm looking all over. I didn't pull it off yet. I'm just looking all over. I'm like, I don't see a cut or blood. I think I might be okay. I think that my nail might have just stopped it from really doing any damage. So I'm like, we're good. So I'm going to calm down and I'm going to pull this knife off my finger and just go on with my day. Well, when I pulled it, I realized it really embedded itself down in my thumb. And it went through my whole fingernail into up to my knuckle. So I had this long slice down my finger where I'd like cut my finger in half, right? So then as soon as I pull it out too, I mean, my nail like shifts because it's not being held together anymore. And blood is like, yeah, <laughs> I started feeling woozy. I started feeling woozy because it was my finger, you know? And <laughs> I, uh, I pull it out and there's just blood. I mean, it fills up under my nail, all that. I won't keep talking about blood because some people pass out, but it was a lot of blood. And so in that whole moment, I'm just, I'm a little bit panicky, but I'm also just mad at myself because it's like you knew from the first time you stabbed the bed frame with a knife that that wasn't really a smart way to use a knife. And you've known that forever, not to do dumb stuff like that. And now look at me, I'm 19 years old at the time, 18 or 19, and I just cut my thumb in half. Like it was, it was dumb. It was foolish, you know? So Long story short, to wrap it up, I had to go find an RA because I'm a 19-year-old boy. I didn't have Band-Aids and rap in my dorm. I had to go find someone who was responsible. So I found someone, had to explain that whole story. I didn't get stitches, and I just, like, I super glued it together, and that was that. So my nail was messed up. That's fine. I'm good now. I didn't lose my thumb. But I tell that story because it's, it's funny, and it's not that important, but it's an easy way to to look at knowing better than to do something. And, and I had the, I knew, I just, I knew better. I knew better than to forcefully try to stab with a knife into something that didn't need to be stabbed. Also with a knife that doesn't have a safety lock on it. Like all the things that I knew, but I didn't apply any of that. And I did the exact thing of why you don't do that. So when I think about that, I went and I found these two definitions. Um, one of them, I kind of, put definitions together and made my own Sam definition, but I think it's a good one. And it's for the word wisdom. So wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment, or the soundness of an action or decision based on experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Right? So it's having those things or using those things. I think the latter, using them, is more wise. And then the other definition that I found, and I did not write this definition, or this word, I didn't really know it, but it's erudition, which is um, the quality of having or showing great knowledge or learning scholarship. So there's these two words that a lot of times people use in place of each other, right? When you have wisdom and you have knowledge, right? You can kind of replace whatever word you did use with the other in a sentence and it's still gonna come across the same. Like, oh, he's really wise, or he made a wise decision, or he was smart and made a good decision based on knowledge. You think it's the same. You know, it, it go, they go together. Whether or not they mean the exact same thing, they go together. But I feel like there's a big difference between them and when it comes to wisdom and knowledge. And wisdom is, is only useful if you use the knowledge that you've gained, Right? So you have these experiences, you have these things that you were taught, this knowledge, and it's wise when you put that knowledge to use, 
right? But if you just have this knowledge, but you don't follow the knowledge that you know, it's worthless. It's worthless knowledge if you don't use it. So in that, you can be as smart as you want, but if you don't use that knowledge towards things in your life, you just end up becoming a fool. And that's the exact opposite of what you're intending to be. When someone desires wisdom and they pursue wisdom for the sake of being wise, a lot of times what happens is they end up pursuing knowledge, right? So when someone's like, you know, I want people to look at me and think that I'm wise, not for the sake of I want to be able to make sound decisions. I want to be able to help people or better myself, whatever, it may, whatever you may want to use that wisdom for, but you just want to be wise to be the guy that's wise, to be the guy that everybody knows, knows a lot. When you do that, what you end up doing is you're not becoming wise at all, but you're just gaining knowledge. But when you don't apply that knowledge to anything, or you don't even follow the own things that you know to be right, you're not wise at all. You're just a smart guy that makes bad choices. When your heart is to follow the desires of Yahweh's heart for you, when your heart is, I want to do what God has put in my life to accomplish, you're going to gain wisdom along the way. That's just how it works. If you want to be wise, just follow after the Father. The way that he's going to lead your life and the path that you're going to take, that's going to lead you right into situations where you're going to gain so much wisdom. You're going to gain knowledge, and you're going to be able to apply those things in your walk. So there's a lot of, first of all, wisdom is talked about in the Bible a lot, right? And it's one of the highest sought-after virtues that people want. They want wisdom. They also want patience and kindness, these things. But wisdom is held up there, so then there's also a lot of characters that we see in the Bible who are wise or unwise, and they use them as examples all the time. So I want to use Solomon as an example, who, if you don't know who Solomon is, he was a king of Israel, and he was known as the wisest man, the wisest man to ever live. Right? So he was known in his time and in our time as the wisest man who ever was and whoever will be. Right? He was given all this wisdom from God, and his dad was King David, who was no one was ever closer to God than him because he was so after the heart of God that he was just, they were so tight-knit. So this is his son who, not surprisingly to me, he was a great king, so his son is set up to be a great king as well, the wisest king. So he became king at a pretty young age. They don't have it exactly how old he was, but he was about 20 based on what they think going through genealogies and other people's ages that they did have, he was probably early 20s when he became king of Israel, which was a huge, powerful, wealthy, famous nation, right? It was, it was very big. He didn't just become the king of Sanford, you know, (laughs) he became the king of like America. Like it was like, he was a king, king. And, uh, but he's like 20, you know? And there, even now I'm older than 20, not by a whole lot, but a little bit. And, but I could never, like, that's so, that'd be so intimidating to me to have to lead Sanford, you know? Like, if they're like, we want you to be mayor, I wouldn't even want to do that, honestly, because that's, like, that's a lot of pressure, and I don't feel like I've had enough experience to know how to deal with certain situations I've never had to deal with, ever. So, anyways, he's 20 years old, about, and he becomes, he becomes king. So, he was off in this place 
some weird name of a place, you know, and he's doing sacrifices. He's placing all these very big sacrifices to the Lord, and he's sleeping that night, and God comes to him in a dream. And he says to Solomon, out of anything I can give you, what do you want me to give you? And Solomon says that he wants to have knowledge and be able to discern between right and wrong, right? Because he said that he doesn't feel like he's ready to lead this nation. He said, my father, he was amazing. I'm just a boy. I don't, I don't know how to do this, so I need wisdom. I need knowledge. So let's read what Yahweh's response to him was. It's in 1 Kings 3, and then it's verses 10 through 14. So it'll get pulled up. I need to pull it up really quick, too. All right. So this is what Yahweh then answered to Solomon in his dream when he said that he wanted wisdom. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has ever been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. So, Solomon said, if you can give me anything, I want you to give me discernment. I want to know right and wrong. I want to be wise. And Yahweh was, like we just read, he was pleased with that. Because a lot of people, if you ask a young man who became king, or anybody who's not a king, if you're always like, you can have anything you want. It's like a genie in a bottle situation. Like, anything you want, what do you want? A lot of people are going to say, I want wealth, or I want fame, or, you know, like he said, you didn't ask for the life of your enemies. Like, I want you to kill anyone who would ever try to come against me so that I have no threats. There's all these things that people want, power. And he didn't ask for any of those things. He just asked for, he wanted wisdom so that he could be a good king. That's what he wanted. He said, I want you to do something for me so that I can lead the people like my father led the people. I want to be that high-level good king for Israel. And in that Yahweh was pleased, and he said, I'm going to make you wise. I'm going to make you more wise than anyone that's ever been before you and whoever will come after you. You're going to be the wisest man. And I'm also going to give you those things that everybody wants. So in turn, he did become the most famous king in the time. Everyone knew who Israel was, and they all knew Solomon, the young, wise, rich king, right? He became very wealthy. He became very versed, and he was always out and he had many wives, which we're going to touch on in a little bit, but even in that, he had wives from all over the world because he was always tying strings with other kingdoms and other powers, and everyone knew him. He was, he was a big dog, and he was young. So when he came, <clears throat> excuse me, when he came to the Father initially in that dream, he came humbly, and he asked for something that wasn't just to big himself up. He asked for something in a humble way, that was really going to benefit not just himself, but God's people. And when he did that, he was given that. He was given that wisdom. And then immediately after, when you're reading his story, they tell a story about these two women that come to him. And they both had babies at the same time. I won't get into the whole story, but they both have babies at the same time. One of the women rolls over her baby in the night, 
and had suffocated the baby. So then she tried to swap babies with the other lady so that her baby would look like it was still alive and the other woman would be the one that had lost a child. So they're arguing. They're both saying, that's my baby, that's my baby. They're both going at it. So then they see the king on the street and they come to him and they say, we want you to sort this out for us. Um, she says, this is her baby and her baby's dead. And I say, this is my baby. My baby's not dead. They're doing the whole back and forth. And Solomon says, okay, so what we're going to do is I'm going to cut this baby in half, right? And you can both have half of the dead baby since you guys want to just keep arguing over it. So the one woman said, sounds like a good plan to me. That's fair, you know? If I can't have it, she can't have it type of thing. That's fine. The other woman said, don't, please don't do that. You can just give her that baby. That's fine. It is my baby, but she can have it because I'd rather that baby get to live than for you to kill it just over this argument. So in that he saw the woman who said don't kill the baby was the true mother because she really had love for that child. She wasn't just trying to bring that other woman down to her level where they both were, had lost a child. So when that happened, though, that was in, on the street. It was public. Everyone saw it. They would have heard about it anyways because he was the king. So in that, everyone rejoiced in the street because they were like, God said they were going to give our king wisdom, and look, he's already showing that. He's very wise. And uh, there's a lot of different examples that we can see um, wisdom in King Solomon. So his brother had conspired against him, right? Before he had become king, his brother wanted to be king. So he was getting with people who were powerful and trying to set things up so that Solomon wouldn't be king and then probably try to kill Solomon so that he could get the crown. It didn't work, obviously. Solomon became king. But in that, Solomon just left it alone. But then right after he became king, his brother tried to come against him again and take a wife that was rightfully for him. So in that, that was like two offenses. It was obvious to everybody that his brother was going to try to take the crown. So then that's whenever he had him executed. A lot of times people killed their siblings when they became king right off the bat, which, I mean, that's just the times, I guess. But um, <laughs> it's crazy. But, you know, he didn't just kill him right off the bat. He was like, I'm going to give you a chance to just chill out and be fine with me being king. He wasn't, so then he took that step. Now, there was a priest, the high priest, was also conspiring against him with the brother. Well, now the brother's dead, but rather than kill the priest, his name was Abiathar, rather than kill him, he exiled him because he's like, I can't have you around and I can't have you in a position of power, but I'm not going to kill you because regardless of what you've done, you were anointed by God to be a, a head priest. So you're just banished, right? But in that, we can see he had to get rid of someone who was in power trying to come against his kingship, but he was still looking at the father. He was like, I'm not going to dishonor God for my own gain. I'm going to get rid of him, but I'm not going to kill him because he's done this thing, but he was still chosen. And then the, the last two I'll touch on that are examples of his wisdom was a military general who was conspiring against him with the brother, these guys were kind of all in the same gang together, but he, uh, he was um, executed as well because he had control over the army, but he had killed someone in cold blood because he was an angry guy. So he was able to be punished through trial for something that he really did, but he went ahead and let that trial play out because he knew, you know, he's a risk. He's a risk to, to my kingdom. And then the last guy was a guy that had dishonored David, um, so a lot of people expected him to be executed but he didn't he made a deal with him and said you're a foreigner 
so if you leave Jerusalem, that's going to make you look like a spy. So that's the deal. If you stay in Jerusalem, I don't have any problems with you. Well, they did that, and then he ended up leaving Jerusalem in that sentence himself. So all these things, though, it showed that Solomon didn't just react, right? He wasn't just like, oh, you're against me right now, boom, like you're dead. Because people aren't going to trust that. They're going to be afraid of that king, but that's not a wise king if you want the trust of your people. Because then it's a fear of anything could just get me killed, so I'm just going to lay low until my chance comes, and then we'll get him out of here. Right? So he was wise in the way that he dealt with people, even people who were explicitly against him. Now, you can read on. He's got a lot of wise sayings that he has written that's all through the Bible that you can read. But then we're going to kind of skip ahead to kind of where his wisdom started to leave him. Right? So, like I mentioned, Solomon had a lot of wives. He actually had 700 wives, and he had 300 concubines which a concubine, I was never really sure what that meant, so I looked it up just to make sure. It's kind of like a live-in girlfriend type situation. So it's not, your, it's not your wife. Like, you don't respect her like a wife, you know, but she still has your kids. So that's, that's how Sol- Solomon had, in total then, you know, like 900 women that was having his kids and all these things. So, and they're from all over the world. That was kind of the reason that he did it was he was tying strings with people. So it's like the Pharaoh's daughter was one of his wives because in that he can, you know, be friendly with Pharaoh. But Yahweh had specifically warned the Israelites, don't marry outside of Israel, right? Because, not because they're less than, not anything like that, but solely the main reason was because they're going to influence you with their gods and they're going to pull your heart away from me. So that was the whole warning. Well, he, Solomon went way past that warning. You know, he had 700 wives from all over the world. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened to Solomon. The wisest man in the world got his heart pulled away from Yahweh. So Yahweh said they're going to influence you with the gods. And he got all these wives thinking that they won't influence him. And they did. He started making places for them to worship their gods, right? So he'd make altars and temples and these different things. Mind you, Solomon's the one that built the temple for Yahweh, the first big temple place that was meant to be for worship. He built that, but he also built all these other little places for these other gods, for all his wives and their people. Because you got to think, they brought their servants and their families and their kids and all these people. So there's whole little communities within his palace of people who don't follow Yahweh, but they have these other gods. And he made places for them including a god, um, this is just a side note, but including a god named Melech, which is all through um, Leviticus, it's warned if you deal with this god, he takes child sacrifice. So if any of you ever make a child sacrifice, God said you're going to be put to death for that. And if any of you ignore people, participate in that, like you know that your friend's kind of making sacrifices with this god and you ignore it, I'm going to turn my face away from you too. It was very specific. If you do anything with this God, like, I'm done with you. And he built a place for that God. And he knew better, you know. Solomon, out of everyone, he knew better than to do that. But he still did it because his wives pulled at his heart, right? I'm sure he loved them, and I understand. But they were pulling him in these different directions. And who knows how long that went on. But eventually he gave. And then eventually he wasn't just making places for his wives, but he began to go after other gods as well. 
and he began to participate in their different rituals and sacrifices and things like that. So, and wrapped up, Yahweh, he was, he was angry with him, you know? He did, he went against what he promised to do. He said, if you follow my ways and you follow my statutes, I'm going to give you a long life as king. I'm going to make you the most successful, most wise, most wealthy king ever. But you have to come after me like your father did. Well, he stopped. So Yahweh took it from him. And he left him with one tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. So he was left with just Judah. And he still had a kingdom. He still had subjects. But he, I mean, one twelfth of what he had. And it was taken. And the only reason he got to keep that was because of David, right? He said, I'm not going to take away from David's bloodline because of you, but if it wasn't for David, I would. And, you know, and that's the, that's just the, the harsh reality of what happened with Solomon was he ended up ignoring those things that he knew. He was so wise. He was the wisest man to ever live, yet he made such foolish decisions towards the end that ended up costing him all that wisdom because he wasn't putting it into practice. Let's go on and read another scripture. So this is going to be Proverbs 9, verse 10. So in Proverbs 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Fear of the Lord as in you know who he is and you know what he can do, right? It's not an unhealthy fear. There's good kinds of fear all the time. You look at, uh, I'll use myself as an example with my dad growing up, right? My dad, my dad wasn't mean to me, right? But I knew that my dad could bury me. You know what I mean? Like, it, but I knew he wouldn't, but I knew he could. It was one of those things, like, I know you're not just going to totally destroy me because I broke the window, but I'm afraid because I know that you could. So it's like, I don't think you're going to go that far, but something's going to happen, you know? And there's just that, that healthy fear. And it, it didn't mean I didn't love my dad. I love my dad, still do. But in that moment, in those moments, I had those healthy fears of him. Like I know you have control over what goes on for me, you know? Not just physically you could beat me up, but you could also, you know, take away all the things that you've given me. You're the one that gives me a place to live. You give me the food that I eat. You give me the fun things too. You give me my, my Xbox or whatever, like those things. You can take all that away from me. You can take everything away from me. And I know that you love me, so I know that you're not going to do that, but I know that you could. And when it comes to, to God, he has done that for the people that are against him. You know, we have seen those things, but we know as sons, sure, he's not going to just strike us down. But we know he has that capability of striking people down. He's still powerful. I know he's not going to ignite me with his power and just destroy me, right? Because I'm a son, but I know he could, you know? So I have that, that fear of the Lord. And that's the beginning of wisdom, it says, right? And Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. So understanding what he's capable of and having that healthy fear and that respect and honor towards him, that's how you can start becoming wise, right? And then with that, the knowledge of the Holy One being insight, the more you know about him, the more you learn and you walk, you have insight into him now. You have insight to his heart. You understand who he is, what he expects. So now it's not just... This God is scary because he's wiped out nations. He's, you know, 
flooded the whole earth. He's done all these crazy things. And even the powerful things, people have come back from the dead, these crazy things that can bring fear. But I also now, I'm not just afraid of him, but I'm learning about him. So I know his heart, right? I know those things that, that bring condemnation, but I know those things that bring life. And I'm able to walk in that, walk in that wisdom and knowledge and become closer and build a relationship with him as well as becoming more wise, more knowledgeable. But I'm putting all that to use in my walk, right? I'm not just learning about God, but I don't fear him because that won't do anything for you. You can learn all about something, but if there's no respect for it, what good is it, you know? I can learn all about, you know, Buddhism, but that brings no life to me. I can know all about it, you know, and that's what a lot of people have. They, they learn all these things about a subject, whether it's religions or, you know, their job, their education. They learn all these things, but they never put it to practice and they never breathe life into it. So you have all this knowledge, but it's not being put to use. And therefore, how are you going to help yourself? How are you going to help anybody else? I want to read one more scripture with you guys, and it's, this one's in Genesis, right? So it's in Genesis 3, and it's verses 1 through 7. All right, so this is uh, some context, you know, it's with, with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And Eve is talking to the serpent, and the serpent is trying to get her to eat the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, right? So that's what this whole conversation is about to be about. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat it, eat of it, you will, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And the and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So that's a story that a lot of us have heard before. Some of us maybe not, and that's all right. But that's, uh, that's kind of like where the fall of, of humanity really happened, right? It's, uh, we, in that moment, took a path that took us off the original intent, right? At that moment, we're still going to be able to be used. We're still going to be able to live life, but not to the full intent that it was meant to be when God created all of it he had a plan and we left the plan right we always had that choice and they made the wrong choice which I used when I was a kid I used to be really mad Adam and Eve right like a little kid in Sunday school and I'm like we could have been in the garden just chilling with tigers and stuff you know and just eating fruit like it would have been great and then you listen to a snake like I was really mad, and I always thought, like, you know, if I was there, I would not listen to that snake. Like, but, but that's not true, because you look back in, in all of our lives, there's plenty of times that I've, I'll talk for myself, but I've made plenty of dumb little choices that I knew better than. Not like 
There's ones like the knife story, right? But then there's ones that are more of a spiritual sense, right? Of those things that I know this is wrong, but I'm still going to do it because I think it's going to be all right. Like, I think I can make up for it. So I can't really blame Adam and Eve, you know? Also, a snake was talking to him. I, don't, I probably would have listened a little bit because <laughs> an animal was talking. <laughs> but, but, uh, but no, so I, I, don't, I don't hold that against Adam and Eve, you know? Because... We've all, we've all been there in our own ways, and we've, you know, we've, we've chased that, that wisdom on our own, right? Because that's all she was doing when she saw. She didn't eat it because she was like, well, he said it would taste better than apples. No, like she ate it because it was going to make her more wise. That's what she said she saw. She saw it brings wisdom. Well, I'm going to leave what my creators told me, and I'm going to get some more wisdom on my own. You know, I'm going to get... I'm going to get smarter because he's trying to hold me back. So I'm going to get a little bit smarter than him. And that was the whole goal. And Adam's just as guilty. He's more guilty because he listened to the snake and her. But, he, you know, he was the one that should have really tightened it up, but he didn't. And, uh, but they ate it because they wanted to bring more wisdom, right? And the true wisdom would have come from obeying what God told them not to eat it because it brings, it brings death. So if they would have listened to God in the beginning, you know, who knows what it would look like, you know? And who knows, too, maybe, well, I'm sure someone else would have ate the fruit eventually, you know, because they were going to have kids. I mean, you saw how they turned out. They weren't <laughs> perfect. So someone would have ate the fruit. Someone would have ate it. But maybe it would have been allowed at some point. You know, we don't know. We don't know the original plan because we left the original plan. But, but I still... I still believe because we're, we have that nature in us to try to be disobedient. And, and I believe that at some shape or form, something may have happened along the line anyways. But that's a, that's a different conversation. What I'm saying is they went after wisdom on their own rather than listening to the wisdom that was already imparted to them. They didn't have to learn the hard way not to eat the fruit. But they chose to learn the hard way why you don't eat the fruit right? And for many people, when it comes to knowledge, I'm going to switch it from the word wisdom. They may think it's wisdom, but when it comes to knowledge, knowledge can become an idol to so many people. It happens all the time. And uh, when you think you know everything, you remove the sense of, of need for Holy Spirit, right? Because you're like, I know what to do, so I don't need to ask Holy Spirit, where, which, which way should I go? Even if it's two good things, you know, because that's the, that's the original intent is to not even have to try to pick between good and bad, but good and better. And when we get to this place, you still, you don't want to just do it on your own devices. You may think you know what's best, but you still engage Holy Spirit and you're able to move through these different avenues and these different paths. And, but when you, when you remove that from yourself and you think you know everything and you don't need any help, whether from other people, whether from Holy Spirit, you, in turn, you start removing wisdom from the equation. And now you're putting knowledge up on this pedestal that that's the most important thing to you. And it's easy. It's easy to do. I'm not talking about just for your whole life, but in a day, in a moment, it's easy to do. I'm guilty of it too. I mean, I have a phone and it can tell me an opinion about anything in any time right? So if someone wants to talk about something that I don't know anything about, I don't have to be left out because I can Google it quickly without you even knowing it. <laughs> and then I'm going to just spout off some opinion. It doesn't have to be right, you know, but I still have something. 
and there's always that availability, and then people do it with, you know, education. They, they get schooling, they get degrees, which aren't bad things at all, but they put it on a pedestal to where you can't speak into me because I went to school longer than you, or you don't know what you're talking about because I have a degree in this, but maybe they have, they got something to say, you know. Um, people do it with the Bible, you know. You can read as much scripture as you want. You can quote scripture. None of that's bad, but the Bible's not going to lead you like Holy Spirit's going to lead you. And if you take Holy Spirit out of it and you just have your Bible, you're not going to get anywhere. And that's, that's nothing against the Bible. I love the Bible, but that's not going to bring you life, and it's not going to guide you the way that you're intended to be guided by the Father. So, when we look at all these things, it's like when you think about wisdom and knowledge and, and the difference and how is it applicable in my day-to-day, the way that I see it for myself, the way that I've learned from my mistakes, and I'm going to try to impart it to to you guys if, if needed, or to my children, to anyone that I can impart it to. And it's these ways, it's don't revert to the old ways that you know don't bring you life, right? So you're living a certain way, or you're doing something that's not working, right? You can use it in a simple example. You don't know how to put this, you gotta put a screw in a piece of wood, right? But you don't have a drill, so you're trying to use a hammer, but it's not working. So then you try to use a screwdriver, but it's hard because, you know, you keep slipping, but it's working better than the hammer. Well, you don't go back and try to hammer it some more, right? You don't want to revert back to these things that you know, these aren't going to work out for me. So even when you're walking in something new and it's, it's not going right, or you don't know what you're supposed to do next, that doesn't mean to start backpedaling. You want to keep looking for something new, and it's okay to make mistakes. That's how you gain wisdom. But you don't gain mistakes from repeating, or you don't gain wisdom from repeating mistakes. That doesn't bring anything. When you receive wisdom from the Father, whether it's from Holy Spirit giving you some revelation, or you receive wisdom from a parent, or a friend, or a stranger, whatever it may be, when you receive these pieces of wisdom from people, you don't have to go out and learn it yourself now. Right? So, you don't have to try to redo and, and rebuild on something that someone already laid out for you, right? The foundation is set. So if your parents have taught you something, I don't have to go and make those same mistakes that my parents maybe have made or my teachers or my friends, you know, or I have a lot of friends that have kids. I have a kid, but she's a baby. So I haven't went through anything but newborn stage yet, right? So she's like, she's probably going to start crawling soon. That's where I'm at. And I hope she starts calling. <laughs> but she, or in that, I can't necessarily tell you from experience what's going to work with a teenager or with a toddler. But I have friends who have those age kids or have had those age kids before, and they're able to tell me things that I may not know. Now, I don't have to learn the hard way if they tell me something, right? Like, uh, I'll use myself because I just messed up recently. I put my baby, well, I'll just say I did it. I put my baby in a car seat, but I didn't buckle her in, right? Not to ride in the car, just to sit in a chair while we were eating. But then I didn't realize that she was not buckled in. I tried to pick her up, right? And I like dumped her out, but I caught her. I caught her. It was like, it was, they were there, but it was like, 
it was a scary moment, right? Because I almost dumped my baby right on her face on the tile. But I caught her. But in that, you know, I learned this lesson that maybe I should have known it, but I didn't think. Always check to make sure the seatbelt's on, right? But now, even if you're not in the car, right? That's like the important part. But now, like, I won't ever do that again, you know? And, and I can also tell other people, like, hey, make sure the seatbelt's on a little bit. <laughs> and they're not going to maybe dump their kid on the floor, you know? And it's like, I don't have to rebuild or I don't have to relay foundations that have already been set for me, right? So when it comes to these different things about my spirituality or just normal day-to-day life, there's pieces of wisdom that people can give me. And therefore, now I'm not going to have to learn the hard way. When people told me before when I was younger, you know, don't use foul language. I didn't need to learn that lesson the hard way, but I chose to, right? So I was like, ah, like, you don't know. I can talk like that. Like, it's fine. But what I learned the hard way is that it can hold you back from all kinds of different opportunities, right? People off the bat are going to judge you. Even if they're the same way, you're going to be judged in a certain way. They're going to assume that you can't do this or that you, be, you carry yourself a certain manner across the board. So I learned the hard way, why do these people think poorly of me right off the bat? Well, it was my language, you know, because right off the bat, they're like, oh, he's not respectful. He doesn't care about anybody else's opinions. He doesn't care who's around. So I'm not going to let, you know, my kids around him, all these different things. And I never had to learn that the hard way, right? And come to that realization where it's like, oh, people don't really like me that much because of how I talk. But I did. I learned that the hard way. But my kids are going to have that same opportunity to not learn the hard way. And I can tell them why. I can tell them, don't, don't curse when you talk. And not just because I said so or because I don't like it, but because it's going to hold you back. And they're not going to have to relay that foundation. Now, they may choose to, like I did. I didn't have to do that, but I did. But my hope is that they won't, right? So when, whenever you have those, those pieces of wisdom and those, that knowledge, you're able to build on top of it. You don't have to start over, like I already said. You don't have to start over, but you're able to just grow from it. And then you're able to reach places that that person may have never been able to reach, but you're able to propel. And then it's generational, right? So then I'll teach my kids, and my kids can teach their kids, and so on and so forth. And... And all that won't work, though, if wisdom is not put into action, right? So if you have wisdom, you have knowledge, that's only going to work and pass on if you act on it. Because I can, I've heard it before, you know, this wasn't my story, but you tell a kid not to smoke, but then you smoke, they're probably going to smoke, you know, because you do it. So what's the matter? But you can even know, like, it's not good for you, but... There's all kind of different examples of that, you know. If, if you have wisdom and you have this knowledge, you know this can hurt me or this isn't going to result in anything positive, you can't tell someone else not to do it if you're doing it because they're not going to receive it and you're not receiving it. So that, that knowledge or that wisdom without being put into action becomes worthless knowledge. And to understand to understand and to grow in what wisdom is, you have to engage Holy Spirit. And you have to see what it is that Yahweh's wanting to walk you through, right? So when you engage Holy Spirit, you can see, you know, which way am I meant to be walking and which decisions can I make, which ways can I affect my life and the people around me's life in the best possible manner. And when you engage Holy Spirit in that constant way, that's when you're able to gain true wisdom.
right? Because true wisdom comes when you pursue the heart of the Father. So if I know that the heart of the Father is to love strangers, right? Even if I go to the store and I'm checking out at Ace Hardware and that person's like super rude, it doesn't mean I'm going to be rude to them because I know the heart of the Father. So in that, I can be kind, and I don't know how that's going to pan out, but they see that, I see that, and then that may create a whole new avenue for me that wouldn't have happened if I would have got smart back, right? But, but following the heart of the Father, you're able to go into these new avenues, and you're able to go through the paths that are going to bring you the experiences that are necessary to increase in wisdom, but you're going to increase in many things. You'll increase in wisdom, understanding, compassion, faithfulness. Your faith will grow. Your wisdom will grow. And it's all because the true wisdom comes whenever you pursue the heart of the Father. So if everybody would like to stand with me, I'm going to pray over our week. I'm going to pray over us to engage in wisdom and engage the Father for his wisdom. So, Father, I lift my voice for myself and everyone in this room and everyone that has been able to listen to this today. I pray that we are able to engage in you, follow your heart, and grow in wisdom. I pray that we aren't the ones that have to relive struggles that have already been lived out before us and that we're able to build upon and grow from. I ask that we're able to not just gain worthless knowledge, Father, but that we're able to grow in wisdom and understanding of what it is that you've given us and we're able to put all of our gifts and all of our knowledge into action in our day-to-day lives to be able to grow the kingdom and to spread your gospel. Father, we want to pursue your heart, and we want to walk in purpose, and we want to see the things that you created us to do and to achieve and to live out. So, Father, I love you. I honor you. I love the people here. I'm so blessed that I'm able to share my heart, share what you've given me, and just have such a good family to to be a part of. We love you and we honor you. In Yeshua's name, amen.